Thank you. Please be seated. As we gather in church today, I always like to bring the word cloud up before you as a reminder that you're in a Bible-believing church. Uh, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is found therein. That's why I always like everybody in our church to have a red Bible, uh, not just that our pew Bibles are red, uh, but that they're read by the people that come to church, that you would be students of the word of God, that you would rightly handle the word of God, because in it, as Paul told Timothy, uh, you can find the wisdom. God's salvation. Uh, there is no other place where you'll find the words of eternal life. And the other things of the word cloud being reformed and covenantal, being worship cherishing and caring, being blended, being multi-generational, these terms all flow out from being a changed people, being not conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is a joy to be a part of a Bible-believing church. I'm glad you're here or you're listening in on the podcast or on the, on the, uh, the, uh, the streaming. Uh, but right now, I'd like us to turn to the Word of God. It is a privilege as a pastor to open the Word. So let us look at the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word as it was given in the originals. Uh, it is a beautiful thing to realize that the gospel has been provided for us. Uh, we're going to be looking at several verses. Uh, this, this is a topical message. We'll be looking uh, ultimately into uh, the New Testament. But I wanted to begin with the verse from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, these, these verses, uh, several of these verses are going to give you the context for why we're preaching this topical message. Uh, we're in the midst of calling our people to be prayer warriors of being folks who will not just say, I'll pray for you, or I'll have a moment of silence. Uh, we want to be a part of a community that takes these requests to the throne of grace. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, our theme for the prayer vigil has been uh, a verse from God. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Uh, when you just let that sink in for a moment... The God who made us, the God who spoke and it was done, now through the prophet Isaiah reaches to God's people and he says, come, reason together with me. And then he says, yes, I already know you have sins and they are like a blemish that you can't miss. But though they're that obvious, they can be washed away and made as white as snow. The next verse I'd like to take you to is to Jude, the, the, uh, the epistle of Jude. There's only a short uh, uh, focus, but we were studying through those books and we were realizing that in the book of Jude, that the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus ends up giving us this, this, uh, this admonition to earnestly contend for the faith, not just half-heartedly, but give it your all. Stand up for the faith once delivered to the saints. And he said, there's going to be people that are creeping in you can just picture them creeping in, sneaking past you. And they come in with their voices. And, uh, and ironically, that when they get inside, you end up being deceived and manipulated. And so he says, be on guard and watch. And at the end of the epistle, he gives those, those two commands. He says that you ought to be built up, building up in the most holy faith. In other words, studying the word of God, being faithful in the truth, uh, because if you know the truth, it'll set you free. He says, if you build up in the faith, and then he has this, this couplet with it, and he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. I, I have to confess that when I read Jude many times, I had missed that, that, that couplet, that part about praying. 
how important for God's people to be praying. And the Holy Spirit is going to have to help. That's why I take you to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 28. Uh, these are verses that all follow through with, with our prayer vigil. Because when you read there, it says, for we do not, uh, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, we struggle to pray. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, I've been pondering that one. The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Rome, and he says, hey, I think you're struggling with this. And he actually includes himself in being weak. We really don't know how we should be praying. We don't know how to engage the throne like we should. And he says the Spirit is going to help us in our weakness. And then he finishes the verse by saying the Spirit himself. In other words, even the reflexive tone, the Spirit is intimately working within you. The Spirit himself intercedes for us as we pray. He intercedes with groanings too deep for words. How beautiful it is that our prayers are not just based on our eloquence or on the language that we're comfortable with. Uh, it is not uh, successful or failure based on your vocabulary or the lack thereof. Our prayers are offering our desires to God for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with, and we would say with confession of our sins, and that we can be assured, according to James, that every good and perfect gift is going to come from the Father above, from the Lord of lights. And that's why we pray. We seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Today's texts are, are building upon that. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 100 for Thanksgiving, you'll be able to see in verses 4 and 5 some beautiful verses that should be familiar to you. You might even be able to finish them if I started the verse. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord, for Yahweh is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That one is the key to the sermon today. Let me read it for you again. Enter into God's house or into his presence with thanksgiving. Come in to his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. What a beautiful, beautiful presentation for Thanksgiving. I also want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, this is Paul's uh, last letter writing to the church at Corinth that had experienced so many troubles. And he says, brothers and sisters, you will be enriched in every way. This is verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So you'll be enriched so you can be generous. In other words, it gets poured into you so it gets to be poured through you. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God has designed this to you folks in, Cor in Corinth, that God is going to pour into you so that you will pour out into others, and God will, through us, produce a harvest of thankful people. 
for the, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. In other words, when people are changed, when their lives are different, the ministry of the service is not supplying just the needs of the saints, verse 12, but it is over, also overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. That when God works in and through you, it causes others to also respond with thanks. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, this is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is where a, a text about uh, evil, uh, about how people pray. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That was in connection to our praying. And also, if I went to Isaiah 56, Isaiah 56, the prophet speaks about prayer where he says, these I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all kinds of people. The encouragement from Isaiah was to tell the people even though there's going to be some suffering because Isaiah was preaching to the northern tribes that ended up being assimilated and, and scattered abroad, he ends up writing to them and he says that God's house is intended to be a place where God's people will talk to him, a house of prayer. Jesus picked up on this theme when he walked on the earth as well. There's a couple other verses that I can highlight for us. Um, right now, I, uh, I want to lead us in prayer. Dear Lord, we have the word of God before us. We speak about treasuring it and valuing it. But Jesus, you said man shall not live by bread alone or by the food that we get, but we would live by the words of God. We, I do pray that as we meditate on these, as we receive them, that the Spirit will make the reading and the preaching an effectual means of salvation in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing these words. Lord, I pray that you will fortify our faith and turn us into thankful people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Americans have an annual call to give thanks. But why is it that they don't give thanks? I've already hinted at a few reasons. I think for some, it's just simply forgotten. It's not been a priority, so therefore it gets skipped over. I mean, as I went shopping this weekend, I was uh, in a few different stores, and it's easy to get caught up with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, or uh, I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. You hear all this nice music in the background, and apparently there isn't that many nice songs of Thanksgiving that could be played in the shopping areas. Now, for some people, it is not merely forgotten, but it's a frustration. Uh, people are grumpy these days. I think you can tell that from all the polls that have been taken. Maybe they're even grumpy because the polls were taken. But it just reveals that our country is divided. We are not in a happy place. In fact, if you look even not just at the country, but if you look at family units, you're going to find that families break up and even Christian families break up. Marriage is an amazing thing, but hardly anybody hangs on to it anymore. And the beautiful idea of, uh, of a um, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go for Thanksgiving almost seems to be an archaic thought from a previous bygone generation. Nowadays, it's have your friends giving. 
Some people are just frustrated because things don't work out the way they want, and sometimes it's just because they're just frustrated people. Uh, but, but I also could argue that, that Thanksgiving is foiled for many. And there is a reason that, that the stores do not promote Thanksgiving. There is a reason why if you go to the public schools and you read about history, you're not going to get a very in-depth understanding of, of the pilgrims' progress, how they came over. In fact, if you are asking many from the rising generation about, uh, about the, uh, the whole episode of Thanksgiving, they would be probably quicker to tell you that these colonialists were bad people for invading somebody else's land. This is not by accident. Thanksgiving has also been fabricated. It's been moved away. Instead of just trying to block it out and erase it, some folks have tried to transform it and make it a great day to eat and to watch football. It's a great day for traveling, and it's also an awesome day, because I'm guilty of this, to go shopping. <laughs> Everybody's heard of Black Friday. They're more excited about Black Friday than they are about Thanksgiving. The only reason you're happy about Thanksgiving is you get enough food to be able to carry, to carry on, to go all the way and, and be at the doorbusters and get the cheap prices. The irony is that Thanksgiving just doesn't seem to be significant for many of our loved ones. But praise God, it is significant for you. Sometimes it's hard to do what the scripture says today in 1 Thessalonians and everything to give thanks. Because in speaking with you and visiting with you, there are so many difficulties. Jesus said, sufficient unto each day are the troubles thereof. You don't have to look far to find that something is not heavenly. And it makes us yearn for that time and place that we can only imagine when we'll be with, glory, with, with our Lord and there won't be any more sorrows. No more bodies with tear ducts because they won't be needed. No more hospitals, no more ERs, no more waiting lines. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we get to see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. But today I want to just focus on two things before we get to our application of giving thanks ourselves. And that is to consider the etiquette of giving thanks and the essence of being thankful. Uh, the two things, the etiquette of giving thanks and the essence of a thankful heart. There is a difference. Which one describes you prior, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a quick response? You know, when you look at it, do you have the etiquette of giving thanks or, or are you known for the essence of a thankful heart? I wanna walk us through this a little bit, taking the uh, topic and uh, driving it home. In our prayer vigil, we've been talking about four kinds of praying and uh, as a pastor, I like to do alliteration, so they start with A's. And if you could put up the four kinds of prayer, uh, the first one is the prayer of adoration or adoring, the second, the prayer of agreeing, the third, the prayer of asking, and the, today, the prayer of appreciating. And if, you, if you're pretty sharp, you'd understand it, that the first one of adoring is when you pray, you talk to God about God. And as I've been trying to drive that point home uh, in the Lord's Prayer, I think of the, of the six petitions, four of them are vertical like that, adoring God. Secondly, when you talk about agreeing with God, uh, that root word comes from the word confess. 
Con is with and fest is with faith. When you see what God sees, and this is usually talking to God about your soul, about your own struggle, about your own doubts, your fears, about your own shortcomings. Now, for some people, this is hard to talk to God about because uh, you have sung the song, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. You know that verse. Uh, you know, you look in the mirror. You can't wait to look in the mirror because you'll get better looking each day. Uh, that's, that parody, that spoof is really funny. But it really does sometimes expose how we think we're pretty good. Does God get deceived by how somebody thinks about us or how we think about ourselves? We need to get on board the bus that God is driving and he describes that we have fallen short. All have sinned and missed the mark. And iniquity is in our hearts. And that is why it's so important, if you want the blessing of God, Psalm 1, that you would uh, remain in the word of God, that you would not sit with the seat of the scorners or uh, in the scorners or stand in the way of sinners. Now, I am trying to emphasize, though, that this, this challenge for us is to consider the etiquette versus the essence Okay, the etiquette is going to be focused on a response, a, a, thanks, a thankful expression, which normally is in response to something that's happened, something that is given. Uh, it's, it's an awareness of something, and that awareness triggers this response, and I call it the etiquette of giving thanks. Um, I'm going to get into that in a moment, but I do want to make sure that you see there's a contrast with the essence of being thankful or the essence of a thankful heart. Okay, now, you'll see that I mentioned adoring, then I mentioned agreeing with God, and then thirdly, I was talking about asking. Asking is so very easy because that's what we naturally are inclined to do. We can't help ourselves. You know, even atheists will ask God. You know, when they're in a foxhole and the bullets are shooting, uh, the, the, the phrase is, there is no such thing as an atheist when that's happening because there is always this plea for help! And you want it to come from somewhere. And I think that's what God has put in everyone's heart. There's a God-shaped vacuum. They don't know it's truly God, but they know that they're not God, uh, even though they try to crown themselves as if they are. But today we're talking about the last part there, appreciating God. And this is where, as I said, the etiquette and the essence comes into play. So quickly, let's move to the etiquette of giving thanks. Uh, this is a response that we're going to have, and uh, the title of my sermon had to deal with a time to give thanks. Uh, so I want to look at time. When I go into the three eras, or the three breakdowns of time, the first one is the pre-incarnation era, the second is the time of the incarnation, and then third is the post-incarnation. And all of that is to get you ready for, for the advent. Okay, because Jesus came once and he's coming again. The idea of the incarnation, the word carn is from the word carnivorous. It means flesh. So the incarnation is when you come or when he came in the flesh. Okay, so I wanted to turn to our Bibles to Psalm uh, 100. It is one of the, uh, one of the, the eras. Like I said, the pre-incarnation is before Jesus came. And uh, during that time, what do we know about Thanksgiving. Do we know much? Were people thankful in the past? They were. And uh, if we took a lot of time, you'd be able to find that quite a few of the prayers that are recorded in the Old Testament are based upon people responding, having the etiquette to respond. Now, I use that word etiquette, and I'll go over to Psalm 100 in just a moment. Uh, 
Etiquette is, as I said, this is what you're supposed to do. Sometimes it can be trained behavior. But uh, as my wife and I were shopping just recently, we were in one of the, the big mall in Dover. Uh, and when you get into Dover, you know, when you can find parking spaces now, because not everybody's shopping and not all the stores are even open these days. But as I went into that one, uh, I, I decided to, uh, to go ahead and open the door. And you know what the five people that walked by said to me? Thank you. And it was really interesting because they didn't say it in unison. It wasn't like they were chorus. It was as one went by me, thank you. The next one went by, thank you. The next one went by, thank you. The next one went by, thank you. It was very, very interesting how thankfulness just was coming right out of their mouth. I didn't know any of these people. Some of them were young, some of them were old. Obviously, some looked like they worked there. I mean, it was really interesting. You could see all the differences. But one thing that was universal was the etiquette of saying, thank you. And then it was kind of fascinating that as I had held the door, I ended up walking in, and of course, at the malls, they have two sets of doors. So one of the people that I had opened the door for was now opening the next door for me. And as I'm walking into the, uh, the mall to start our shopping and look for all the doorbusters, then everybody else says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, I joined in, thank you. <laughs> it was so beautiful, everybody getting along because of the etiquette of thankfulness. Now, wouldn't it be great if somehow or other that was true when you're driving in Dover? <laughs> now, I find that this etiquette for giving thanks is even spiritually similar, okay? Meaning that, that we have an awareness of, of something that happened to us that was good. And our response is, thank you. Now, it may not be a natural response for you. I know for us, when we had children, we had four of them. Um, I mean, I'm, thank God for uh, the four kids God blessed Tracy and I with. But I remember my wife telling me that they just don't come out saying thank you. And of course, you have to start teaching them how to say thank you. And even now with my little granddaughter, they've taught her how to do it with sign language. Do you know how to do thank you with sign language? Some of you are shaking your head, no, that is not sign language for, for thank you. Okay, I think it's when you put your, your, your hand to your chin and then you kind of come out. Okay? It's really adorable when my little granddaughter, who doesn't say anything, <laughs> she prefers to do this <laughs> rather than this. I think she means something else besides thank you. But I can tell you that even my wife was trying to train me when we got married that I needed to make sure that I verbally said thank you. Almost like when, you, when, when something was nice to the pastor, then she said, you, you better say thank you to the person who did something nice. I think that was because she was trying to train me that when that happens, it's supposed to be really appreciated because it doesn't always happen. So being thankful and having a response of thanksgiving is proper etiquette. How beautiful it is when we naturally do it. And some of you are experts at giving thanks. And especially when God triggers things in your life, you are fast to be able to say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to him. When we came together, even during the prayer vigil, some of you naturally could write your prayer requests. Uh, and instead of making a lot of requests, you end up putting a lot of blessings. Because you just look at your life and say, wow. 
Now that etiquette is a beautiful thing. And I want to show in the Old Testament that there are a few. During the prayer vigil this morning, we talked about the three ladies who had a response similar. Their etiquette was when... when um, uh, the first one was in Exodus with Miriam. When Miriam came through the Red Sea, she had this joy. She grabbed her tamarine and she grabbed a couple others and she started singing a, 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 a song of thanksgiving. The horse and rider have fallen into the sea. The Lord has delivered me. It is a beautiful thing because there was something good that she apprehended. She responded with the etiquette, thank you, Lord. We found that true with Hannah. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, the same kind of thing happened, that Hannah has had a miserable life. She's been going through a lot of difficulty, and what you see is that God blessed her with a pregnancy. And even before all the stuff was fleshed out about the little boy and all, she ends up having a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving to God. It's convicting. If you sit and read it again and again, you should, what a powerful prayer she had, recognizing the sovereignty of God how he can bring, bring people down who are against you, and he can lift people up who are insignificant. And, and it was amazing. And then I also gave the illustration of Mary in the New Testament, but that's jumping ahead in time. I wanted to be able to say in the Old Testament, there are all these patterns. So let's look at Psalm 100. If you have your Bibles open, you're going to be able to see that this is a psalm that is beautiful. It's lovely, and some of you might even have put it to, to words, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know, we always did it around, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye earth, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And then, and then it goes on with a couple other verses. But when you look at Psalm 100, David is not writing like he did in Psalm 17 or in Psalm 86. In those Psalms, he is crying out, God, hear me. Listen to my cry. It's almost painful. David had, had been in so much despair. But Psalm 100 is so different. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And when you get to verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. This short hymn is in that genre of etiquette and response. David has been blessed. And he is now challenging other people to do the same. And that's what I'll be doing for, with you today in this message. It's challenging you not to, be, not to forget, not to be frustrated, not to be foiled, but to remember and to engage in the giving of thanks. I went through the Old Testament and saw time and time again how people that knew God responded in prayers of thanking God. Now, there were also prayers when they were struggling and they had issues, and sometimes it's hard to discern whether it was just asking or whether it was appreciating. But I am amazed in Psalm 100 where he says that when you, in verse 4, when you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, then you're supposed to, when you're in his presence, then the command is give thanks. Give thanks. So the application of etiquette to make it simple is this. Whenever 
your spiritual eyes are opened to see God's fingerprint in your life, give a response of thanksgiving. Pastor, that seems crazy. I told some of the folks that I had a dear friend of mine who had a stroke. He's a, a Marine. He's, a, um, he's quite a neat character. He's been blessed with a beautiful family. He's a runner and he's, he's uh, confident. And uh, when he got this stroke, it was the first time that he had been put on his, on, on his back and laid up in a hospital. And his vision was affected. And I'm not even sure if he's back driving. I hope so. But when we talked and we prayed, my friend was trying to tell me that he was trying to give thanks for the stroke. And I wanted to give him pastoral counsel to not be thankful for the stroke. It's really interesting. Because if you look at the breakdown of our bodies, that's not something that you rejoice in. But what you can give thanks for is Romans 8.28, where it says that God works it together for good. This whole idea of the etiquette in the Old Testament is so significant. Now, let me jump to the second era, which is the era of the incarnation. When Jesus walked on this earth, what did he tell us about the response and the etiquette of, of thanksgiving? Well, I wanted to take you to Luke chapter 17, 18, and 19, and I'll just quickly highlight it for us because I'm looking forward to your responses. In chapter 17, there is an issue that's going on. There are 10 people that are sick. 10 people that have this dreaded disease. You know, back in that day, it was the COVID of its time. You know, you didn't want to get this leprosy. And Jesus did something for them. He healed them. He healed them. And the story that Luke gives us in, in its ex expression here, uh, Luke 17, verses 14 to 19, is that the, the, the 10 people were healed and they went away and Jesus told them to go present themselves to the priest, basically to go get the status of being clean. They have had the status of being unclean. Okay, so Jesus is telling them to go do this and, and they take off. But he brings, Luke tells us this one part. He said, one of the ten came back and said, thank you. And it's very interesting how it's brought forth in the text. So Jesus is teaching and he's exposing that ten people received these blessings. And only one had the etiquette of a response of saying, thank you. What do you think Jesus is teaching? Is he teaching you to be like the nine or to be like the one. Very, very interesting that we should not take for granted the blessings that we have. And that's why that song says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Well, some of the things that you have, you have to really be amazed because you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, you didn't get it because you, you worked so hard or that you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's because God has blessed you. Make sure you return thanks for the big things as well as the small. Now, in that particular text, you'll find a little bit more. And if, I ha if you turn to Luke chapter um, 21, um, you're going to find out. No, in, in, uh, I'm looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. I think I have it right in front of me. It is the story of, of somebody praying a prayer of thanks. And it's kind of an interesting prayer because I don't want you to pray it. 
So Jesus talked about it, but, but it is a prayer of thanks that you should never utter from your lips. So if uh, I wanted to go and actually read it for you, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 18, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now Jesus is telling this story in verse 9, I can say, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they had been treating, or they had been mistreating others. Uh, they had treated them with contempt. So Jesus is teaching some of these people about prayer and the prayer of thanks. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, and he said this prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like this other guy. I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, and he continues in his prayer to God, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax, uh, now that's what his prayer consisted of. You know, I could even be a little frustrated that he didn't end it in Jesus' name, you know. But listen to that prayer that he gives. It's a prayer of thanks. And he's directing it to God. So you almost would say, this is a beautiful prayer. Be careful. Don't fall into the trap, especially if you're eloquent in praying this or if you had prayed it this morning. He says, uh, I thank God that I am not like other people. And then he lists other people who have sinned, who are known for their sins and their bad occupations. And then he goes on to, conf to tell God about himself, that he is a good guy. He fasts twice a week. In other words, he gives up at least one meal and he gives his money to the, to, the, to the church. He tithes. Now, how noble is that? Wouldn't it be great if all of us were going around saying, I tithe, I tithe, I tithe. I thank God that I tithe. I would thank God if you tithe too. <laughs> but the issue here, the issue here is that Jesus is teaching about the etiquette of thankfulness. This guy didn't give God the glory. This guy was patting himself on the back. He was thanking himself and he was self-promoting before God because he was basically saying no adoration. It was God, make sure you adore me. Make sure you give me an extra star or put, put some bonus stuff in my stocking. I've been a good guy. The tax collector had a different prayer. He didn't come close. He didn't get in the spotlight. He stood afar off and would not even lift up his eyes towards heaven. Instead, he beat his breast. Basically, he was very private, humbled, and he was hard on himself. He said, God, be merciful to me. God, have mercy on me. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this second man went down to his house with an answer to prayer. He was justified. His faith was in Christ. This man went justified. The other, rather, um, did not. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he goes on to talk about the children. Now, I'm trying to show you that during the time of the incarnation, there's not a whole lot about Jesus talking about Thanksgiving, but he lays it out pretty clear that you do, it is appropriate to have the response, but your response can be tainted if it has the wrong motivation. If you're not really thanking God, but you're praising yourself. 
That's not thanksgiving. Now I want to shift to the post-resurrection time, the post-incarnation. After Jesus died on the cross, after he was buried and, and was in the tomb for three days, he rose from the dead, and, and it's beautiful to realize that he conquered death. And then he was here on the earth, he gave the great commission and ascended to heaven, and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and come back. John chapter 14, verse 6. In that era, after he's gone, about 30 years later, the Apostle Paul is writing. He is the Apostle to the Gentiles, and he's writing these different books, and, he, and as he writes to these people, he is challenging them to have the etiquette to pray and to thank God. And how does he model... I'm actually telling you. How does he do it? Does he just command it? Thou shalt be thankful. No, you don't get that harsh kind of language. You don't get the imperative like that. You get an encouragement to talk to the Lord about everything. That's why Dave in his prayer said, be anxious for nothing, but talk to the Lord about it. And everything by prayer and supplication. And when you do these things, the peace of God will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But there are some other things. I believe that the etiquette is modeled before us by Paul. And if you have your Bibles open, if you turn to Ephesians, that's one of the, the neatest prayers that you'll find. The apostle is writing to the, the lovely group that is gathered in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a strong church, uh, and as he is uh, communicating with them, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, he opens up his, his epistle to them with prayer. And his prayer is so long, I don't even think I could read it all for you. Uh, in verse 3, after he says grace and peace to you, after he identifies, hey, I'm Paul, I'm the guy that preached to you, it's me. Then he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, that we should be blameless before him in love. God predestined us for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, what I'm trying to show you is that when you read this prayer, this is not a prayer of asking. Nor is this a prayer of, really, of agreeing. This is a prayer of adoring. He just goes on and on and on, verse after verse after verse after verse, trying to model before these individuals that they should talk to God and, and tell God about God. Help them to be able to distill in their hearts just who we're talking to. And verse 15 is where I want to take you. After he finishes up that prayer of adoration, he ends up, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward the saints, I do not stop or do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 15 and 16. Wow. You see, he sees something beautiful and the response is, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for preserving them. Thank you that they are not going to fall to the evil one. Now, he's telling you this prayer that has been his perpetual prayer. Now, at the end of Ephesians, he tells us, hey, you guys over there in Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God. You know, the evil one, he's throwing fiery darts at you. He's going to try to make you doubt. And that's why you need the, the helmet of salvation and the, and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. You need all those beautiful things. But he says, I've been praying for you. I thank God for you. I tell God about you guys. I so appreciate what he's done in your life. I do not stop giving thanks for you, and I tell God about it. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
that he may give you the spirit of wisdom that, that reveals him, the knowledge of him to you, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to his great might that he has worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion uh, and above and, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Do you see, and I could show you more illustrations, but in this post-incarnational uh, era, in the, in the New Testament time, people still had the etiquette of response. Wow, God, I am thankful that I see you working. I'm thankful for that. God, you've taken care of this. Thank you. See, that is where I want you to all have that response of thanksgiving. Now, the second part of the sermon is a little bit more summarized, but it's more potent. And that is the essence of a thankful heart. Do you have that thankful heart? What's the difference between a response and the essence? This is what I, I've been really wrestling with during this whole four weeks of season. And this is where I'm having a hard time expressing it. Because it's probably hard for me. I imagine it's hard for you. Do you give thanks in everything? Or do you just give thanks in response? If you will, Paul gave us an instruction. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you're going to see that clearly in verse 17 when he ends up saying, um, in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, that is verse 18. So let me repeat that again, because this is the point of the essence of a thankful heart. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul was writing to believers in the town of Thessalonica. And he's talking now not just a response to seeing something good, but he's now telling them about the essence of having a thankful heart. Now, when you look at that verse in verse 18, what do you see that really sticks out? Verse 18, give thanks. That doesn't surprise us, but it does go in the next, in the next uh, in small phrase, the prepositional phrase, in, yes, if you could just all repeat that with me. In all circumstances. Now, this is a whole different paradigm shift than just reacting. And this is what, what I believe is the essence of a thankful heart. Now, I wanted to be able to say, well, that's only for a few people, right? That's only for the elites. Those are the ones that have the mountaintop experiences, and that's where they stay all the time. That's not what the rest of the verse says. If you look at the verse with me, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, 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 and me. He's writing to believers and he says, you ought to have the essence of a thankful heart. This ought to be something that you're thankful in all circumstances. If you're bumped, it's not just that you spill out thanks, but you are thankful. You have a new disposition. And it's really beautiful because this is the will of God 
for you, for believers. God's will is that we would be always praying, which is a neat way of saying that you're always talking to God about things. It's exactly what, what uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is exactly the same thing, that you want to acknowledge God. Talk to God about all these things. Now, I am going to give you just a pastoral counsel here. When you're going through a stroke, if you get to be like my friend, my counsel is not to celebrate the stroke, but it is to celebrate God's will. God has a purpose that transcends what we often see from our earthly view. That's why I talk about you need to walk by faith and not by sight. I call it the helicopter view of faith because when you see from the helicopter view, you see more of God. You see his fingerprints on things, but you also see what God sees, the beauty of holiness, the ugliness of sin, and the value of every soul. But when you have the eyes of faith, then you can also see through what's in front of you. It's often like uh, if you have a shade in front of a window, you can't see through it. The window's there, but you can't see through it because there's something blocking your vision. But when the shade is up, you're able to look through the window. And even though that window is there and it looks like a barrier, it keeps the warm in and, or it keeps the cold in, depending on what season of the year. But you can see through that window and the window does what it's supposed to do. It lets the light in, but it lets you to see out. It's really interesting. With the eyes of faith, you get to see more of what God sees. Pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. In all kinds of circumstances, God has willed this for you. And that's why if, if I go to the next verse, 19, and he says, uh, do not quench the spirit in this. Don't say, bah, humbug. I know that's the wrong season. That's for Christmas time. Don't quench the Spirit's activity. Do not despise what he has already revealed about what's coming. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And the God of peace will sanctify you completely. He then begins to echo the concluding benediction words. God will take care of you. You see, the will of God is for you to have that. Now, then I go back to Psalm 100. If you will, bring that up. Psalm 100, verse 4. Look at it, how he says it so beautifully. It's, this is not simply a response. This is a life. This is David having a thankful heart. And he's going and he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Being thankful. It's not just Give thanks, but it's being thankful. You move to a new place. There's two E words that I'll remember in application of this. One is that it's, it's, it's endless. Okay, you're supposed to give thanks for everything. So if you have a thankful heart, then you're always going to be thanking God from now on. When does that end? It doesn't. You can even give thanks when you breathe your last breath. You can give thanks when you lay down your spouse uh, and trust him, and trust him to the Lord. You can even give thanks if the stock market crashes. I'll struggle with some of these. You can give thanks when your last hair falls out. No, I'm joking about that. Uh, it's not really that big a deal anymore. Uh, you can give thanks in all circumstances at all the time because you realize that God is working it together for good. Now, when you come into his presence with this thankful heart, this is what I've been wrestling with and this I finally got peace is the word enjoying. 
A thankful heart is what bubbles out of the soul of someone who enjoys God. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, they summarize the first question, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God. And you guys are picking up. And enjoy him forever. I don't think that we really talk about enjoying God very much. We can get so caught up with all the things that are distracting us. We're supposed to look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to challenge you that if you want to evaluate whether you have a thankful heart is how much do you enjoy being in God's presence? Do you run away or do you run to? You may be like the prodigal son in Luke 15, and you might say, man, it's such a miserable world. I'd rather just be a slave to my dad, but I'm going to go. You can see the prodigal son saying, I'd rather be with my dad even if I was only half there or if I, I have to be treated like a slave. But wow, that's why I brought up all these verses about prayer is that brothers and sisters, we pray not because we have to get things, we pray because we get to talk to him about everything. There's three hymns, and I just wanted to look at a couple. During Thanksgiving, if you listen to the praise on people's lips, now thank we all our God. This hymn written by Martin Rinkart brings thoughts of organs and high ceilings, but it is also down to earth with its lyrics. The second verse seems particularly relevant to our times. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us, to keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills of this world and the next. Do you hear that thankful spirit? For the beauty of the earth. You know that one? Uh, written in 1864, right after World War, uh, the, <laughs> World War II, right after the Civil War here, the war between the states. The lyrics of this hymn are comprehensive in their praise of a myriad of aspects of our world, of relationships, and of the blessings from God, even when everything seemed to be broken down. Come, ye thankful people, come. This hymn of celebration of God's harvest time. And it comes everybody that knows about harvest you want to join in. Praise God that you've stuck all these little seeds in the ground and somehow or other, uh, look at all that came out of it. There's so much room, you don't even have the barns to hold it. They have to get trucks and ship it away. And it's really cool how it all works. The lyrics written by Henry Alford are a call to come together in gratitude for God's providence. Come, ye thankful people, come. Now, the next one is Count Your Blessings. This hymn was ahead of its time, promoting the practice of counting our blessings. It commends the naming of blessings to live, to, to live the spirits and min, to the lives of spirits and ministers to the heart in times of trial. The tune sounds a little dated, but it's still a light and inspiring piece to enjoy. When you count your blessings, name them one by one. You know the rest. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. You see, when you move beyond just the etiquette to having that thankful heart. And the last one, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. Who is the we? This was a Dutch hymn, and it celebrates the coming together of families and of God's people to worship and to thank God corporately. 
This dates back to the 1600s, to when the time when the pilgrims were actually doing their first Thanksgiving. And when you realize, we gather together. What a great God that we don't have to be alone. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, there's only one way that we can have a thankful heart. Oh, we may be trained, just like Pavlov's dogs were trained to, uh, to, to, to go after food or to, to, to one food when they heard the bell ring. We might be trained that we're supposed to bow our head and say amen when some preacher or some religious leader says, let's pray. But Lord, it is a beautiful thing for people to recognize the kindness, to recognize the, the grace the gift of being treated well, to have favor. Lord, those are beautiful times, and I so appreciate that people send thank you notes and those things. But Lord, I do pray that you would move us all to have a grateful heart, that you will move us to a place that we will, without end, give thanks in all circumstances, that we will be quick to see how you work things together, that we will be able to count our blessings and never stop. That we'll be able to gather together when the doors are open and be able to sing our praise together to our God. For you have been good to us, beside us to guide us, our God with us joining, whose kingdom calls all the love which endures. Oh Lord, I pray that you will bring us to that thankful heart First of all, for the great salvation that you brought. And that while we were yet dead in sins and trespasses, you came. You came to this earth to take our place. To, to, to accept the full wrath of the Father, which is due upon our sins. You took it upon yourself. Lord, greater love could not have been shown. I pray, O oh Lord, that, that we would never try to help you to be saved but that we would just join in that chorus. Jesus, thank you. Your blood has purchased my salvation. Give us a thankful heart in Jesus' name.